Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you in Jesus' name for your presence that goes before us and comes behind us. Thank you, God. I just feel to, um, to pray for rain. Can you agree, with, agree on that with us this morning for um, Canada, the United States, that we need rain? The Bible says that Elijah prayed for rain. And let's just use our faith this morning in our position and just declare rain in the territories. Father, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, we just command rain in the United States and Canada. We command these fires to cease in Jesus' name. We command the smoke to go in the name of Jesus. We declare, we declare a healed land. We declare a whole land. And we declare rain coming in Jesus' name. We declare that the rain of God is here naturally and spiritually in Jesus' name. We declare rain. Let there be rain in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for safety for every, every one of the firemen, everyone that is working against these fires. We declare safety in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we stand together, God, and we declare rain in the name of Jesus to clear this rain, to clear this smoke in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Before I looked in the service, there wasn't any rain in the forecast, but we'll be expecting rain. Amen? Amen. Uh, my name is Ryan Carey. I'm the children's director, and I uh, work at the Destiny Fitness Center, which is uh, one of the ministries of the church there on the, just off the freeway. Uh, it's so good to have you all here, and um, greet your neighbor, and enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning, Destiny Church. Jesus is alive. Amen? Praise God. God's good. I want to receive our offering at this time. If the ushers could please help me if you're giving cash. We'd like a receipt. One of these ushers would give you an offering envelope. If you make it out a check, you can make it out to Destiny Church. Amen. There's also a couple, well, at least one other way to give. They'll put that up on the screen there. Um, so I hope you guys all did something with your offering that you received last Sunday. Amen. And hope something that you bless somebody with it. God gives seed to the sower. God gave you some seed last Sunday to sow. So I hope you did something spectacular. If something amazing happened, let me know. Tell me about it sometime. Not right now, but sometime later. But let's pray over our offering. Let's take it in our hands. Lord, we thank you that we can give. Thank you, Lord, that you love cheerful givers. And we just cheerfully give today. We sow into your kingdom, believing, Lord, for a tremendous harvest. That would be a blessing to people, but also that, we, that you'll give back, Lord, uh, to your people, Lord, that they can be, uh, have an abundance to give to every good work, enriched for all liberality, Lord, as you say in your word. We just thank you for that now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Go ahead, men, pass the offering buckets. So uh, a couple announcements. Uh, Thursday, August 19th is um, the Ladies Connect. Ladies Connect. So that means uh, the ladies are going to connect. And that's at 6.30 right here at church. Then also, August 29th, which is the last Sunday of August, we're going to be having a, uh, another picnic. And we're going to have a lot of good things for the kids. So make sure you put that on your calendar. And also, if you have any questions about the church or you... Uh, would like to know where, where we stand on issues or whatever, or or you're mad about something. We have Dave over here who has been <laughs> been in the church for. He said he's been in the church world for 66 years, 
and I can't get over this. He, he said when he said, yeah, well, see, stop and see me in the back, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll work something out. So anyways, but anyways, so, but if you want, if you want to update your, your information or if you want to get on our mailing list, we, uh, we send out uh, not appeals for money, but we send out information from time to time to let people know what's happening. So reminders of the meetings or whatever. So just see Dave in the back there, and he'll make sure he gets your information. Or if you moved, like Ryan evidently has moved, so I hope he updates his information to us. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I titled this The Main Point of Scripture. And last week, I talked about a phrase that Martin Luther made, uh, made famous during the Reformation. It was called sola, it's a Latin phrase, sola scriptura. Sola scriptura, it means only by the script. Sola means only. It means only by the scriptures. There's actually five, so during the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, there's actually five solas. And one of them was sola by the scriptures. And uh, what Martin Luther was struggling with or fighting up against was the church at that time believed that tradition and the leadership of the church, they had the same amount of authority as the scriptures. And Martin Luther's point was, no, it didn't. Everybody has to submit to the authority of the scripture. In other words, the scripture is final authority in everything, in all matters of doctrine, all matters of conduct, all matters of truth. Scripture is final authority. And that's what we believe. We believe that scripture is the final authority, has the final authority, and that everyone has to submit to the authority of the scriptures. And so what happens in that day, in Martin Luther's day, is that the church was a very oppressive entity, and that if you disagreed with the church, the, which he did, and um, he was condemned as a heretic and condemned to die, and there's a long story, won't go into it, but a lot of people died so that we could have the scriptures. And it's important for us to study the scriptures. It's important for us to read the scriptures. You know, sometimes people think, well, um, you know, if you can't have lay people that are not educated reading the Bible. I think that is the most damnable heresy I've ever heard. Because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us into all truth. In fact, in 1 John, John said, he said that the anointing that abides in us uh, teaches us all things. And that doesn't mean that we throw out teachers, obviously. That's what I'm doing here this morning. doesn't mean we throw out teachers, but we can, by the Holy Spirit, we can judge every teaching that we hear. We can say, something inside me tells me that's not right. And not based on our, you know, what we, our traditions, but based on the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And so I totally reject the idea. In fact, last week, I gave you 25 things the Bible says about itself. 25 things the Bible says benefits to us in our lives. You know, one time years ago, I was going to somewhere to preach and I was having one of those moments, you know, they call it ple uh, preacher block, where I couldn't come up with nothing. I mean, I was trying John 360. I was trying everything and everything just seemed dead to me. And, uh, and I was just so frustrated and I was, somebody else was driving and I was, I was, had my Bible in front of me. I said, I was doing the, you know, the, the magic wand uh, approach, you know, just close your eyes and go like that and look down. You know, I was doing everything to try to figure out something to preach on. And, um, 
And, and so it's a frustrating thing. And so I just started, I don't know, I was reading in uh, one of the like Numbers or Leviticus, and I started reading about the different laws about, you know, if you see a hen on its eggs, you know, you're not supposed to kill it or what, you know, it's all these different laws that the, the Bible lays out for the children of Israel. And I started reading it. it. I don't know, it just sort of attracted my attention. So I started reading it. And I thought, well, I can't preach on this. And I kept thinking in my mind, I can't preach on this. But the more I read it, the more it fed me. I just started getting edified by reading it. And I'm going, what has this got to do with anything I'm going to do tonight in this service? I mean, I can't get up there and say, when you, you know, when you go to the bathroom, you're supposed to bury it. You know, I mean, I can't talk about that type of stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not going to help these people at all. They all have indoor plumbing. You know what I mean? And so I'm just struggling, but, I just, but it just kept ministering to me. So I just kept reading. I just kept reading, reading, reading. Finally, somebody who's driving said, do you have a sermon yet? Not yet, but this is really good reading. And so I just kept reading, reading all these uh, dietary laws, all these uh, ceremonial laws, all these different laws. And when I got, finally got to the place, they looked at me and said, do you have, a, do you have a, a sermon yet? And I said, no, I don't, but I feel so edified inside just by reading that because Scripture is food. Scripture, turn to your neighbor and tell them that Scripture is food. You don't have to have a, you don't have to, have some big theological degree. I reject that idea totally that you have to have a big theological degree so that you can understand Scripture. I don't accept that idea because the Bible doesn't present that idea. The Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit and that if we'll study and give the Holy Spirit opportunity, He will lead us and guide us into all truth. Amen. Amen. And so Scripture... Like I said before, I think taking scripture away from people was the most diabolical, demonic thing that ever happened. And I think the scripture is something that we should be, uh, we should be immersed in. We should, uh, we should give our lives to. In 2 Timothy, and so this is debated a lot. Does, is scripture the inerrant word of God? Is scripture inspired? And what, you, what it does is it Scripture forces you into a position where the, either you accept that Scripture is inspired or you reject the whole thing. It, it can't be both ways because the Bible, what the Bible says about itself, the Bible says about itself that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible says about itself that the Scriptures cannot be broken, that heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. That's what the Bible says about itself. So you're stuck. You and I are stuck. We can't say, well, some of it's inspired. Jesus said not one jot or tittle. That means the punctuation. Nothing will pass until all things are fulfilled. And so we are stuck with either we accept that or we reject that. And I accept it. Amen. So here it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is given, is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped uh, for every good work. And so here, uh, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a debate. I just want you to know that there's a debate about whether or not scripture is inspired or whether or not scripture is inerrant. Now, I'm not saying that all of our interpretations are inspired, but I'm saying that Scripture is inspired. Scripture is God-breathed. It didn't come from the will of man, but it came from God. And so that, that's what they concluded in, during the Reformation, that the Scripture alone is the final authority in all matters of doctrine, 
All matters of morals and conduct and truth. It's the, it's the basis of all truth. And that was a stark contrast, like I said, to the authority of the church, which said that the church, the pope, the, the leaders of the church, and tradition has as much inspiration as Scripture does. And so they saw it as three things. It was the Scripture, it was the authority of the church, and it was also tradition. Those three things made up truth. But the Bible totally rejects that idea. In fact, Jesus said that when you add tradition to scriptures, you make the scriptures of none effect. And so it's very important that we have the mind of God in the, scripture, in the scriptures. I want you to turn to another passage here. And so what happens is when people, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter one. When people approach the scripture or the Bible, it's huge. I mean, you think about it, this is a pretty, pretty good sized book. You know, and people say, I'm gonna start reading it. You know, some people say to me, uh, well, I've, they say, you know, I don't believe the Bible. I said, well, have you ever read the Bible? Usually they say no. And I always say, well, why don't you, you're rejecting a book that you've never read. And sometimes they'll say yes. And so my second question is, my second question is, what is the main theme of the Bible? What is the main thrust or what is the main subject of the Bible? And usually they'll say something like love or doing good or whatever. But how many know that the main theme of the Bible is Jesus? Turn to your neighbor and say Jesus. The main theme of the Bible is Jesus. Now look at this verse here. Look at this verse here. He says, and uh, well, let me read it. Okay, look in Hebrews chapter one, it says, God, after he had spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Let me just stop there. He says that he talks about the Old Testament. He said, God, he said, all Old Testament scriptures is God speaking. All Old Testament scripture is God speaking. God was speaking in the Old Testament. How many can see that's true? But notice that he says that he spoke in portions and in many ways, many portions. In other words, God didn't lay out the whole thing. It was just a little bit here. Uh, you take the names, the, the, the redemptive names of God in the Old Testament, which is a self God's self-revelation of himself. Like Jehovah, the, I, I'm not sure which one the first one was, but Abraham had Jehovah, Nisa, or Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Well, they don't necessarily know if they knew that God was a provider, that he provide for people supernaturally. And so God said to the revealed himself as Jehovah uh, Jireh, I'm your provider. And so all of a sudden they catch a glimpse of who God is. He is a provider. And then Moses, you know, at the at the uh, when the waters of Mar were bitter, they threw a, a, a tree in or a branch in or whatever. And God said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. And so as you read through the Old Testament, God begins to show himself who he is by different pieces and different portions. And slowly, we, uh, the, the revelation becomes clearer and clearer as you go through the Old Testament. But then what happens, let's read, let's read here again. He said, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now stop and think about that. What he's basically saying is the God who spoke in the Old Testament in portions and in uh, 
certain ways and gave us revelation here, revelation there, uh, revealing who he was, that God stepped out of eternity and he stepped into our world. Now that is incredible when you think about that. That God stepped out of eternity and he stepped into our world. You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, he said in verses six, verses eight and nine, he said, Philip spoke up, Lord, show us the father and that will be all that we need. Jesus replied, Philip, I, have I been so long with you? I'm reading a different translation. I've been with you all this time and you still don't know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. He's, and, and that's what this verse also says as you keep reading here, that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. In other words, when you were looking at Jesus, all, it, wasn't, it wasn't parts, it wasn't pieces anymore. It wasn't a little, little bit here, a little bit there. It was the God of the Old Testament that spoke in the Old Testament. That God stepped out of time and became a human like you and me. And he said, he showed us exactly what the Father was like. Look at, these, look at this, uh, as you read on here, he says, uh, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He is the radiance, talking about the sun now, he is the radiance of his glory. The brightest radiance of God's glory was the sun. Radiance of his glory, the most intense radiance of God's glory was, was manifested in the sun. And so when you looked at the sun, you saw God. Amen. The exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things. In other words, the exact representation of his nature. The sun is the exact representation of God's nature. So you will, what's God like? Look at the sun. What is God's attitude in, the, in this situation? Look at the sun. Whatever you, if you want to see what God is like, look at the sun. God, isn't that amazing? I mean, you think about it, you know, some people think, well, God's mysterious. Look at the sun. The sun is the physical demonstration, a physical manifestation of God the Father. You know, it's interesting. I, I, one time I was at home and a couple of uh, gods, they weren't gods, but they were little messengers came to my door and they were a part of a certain religious religion that goes door to door and, and talks to people about the Bible. I won't go into who they are, but anyways, you might know, you might know them. They're not the ones that wear the white shirt and the skinny tie. It's the other ones. <laughs> and so anyways, um, so, you know, I, I said, oh, come on in, you know. And usually they meet people that hardly know the Bible. But, you know, I've studied it for 50 years. I know a little bit about it. And uh, so they started talking to me. And I said, you answer me one question. You answer me one question. Because I said, I said, what we differ in, what we differ on is I believe that Jesus was God and manifested in the flesh. And they go, well, we believe that he was the son of God, but really what they believe that he was subordinate, that he wasn't really divine, that he was a God, but he wasn't God. But the Bible teaches us that he was God. And I said, you know, here's the thing you have to come to grips with is why did people worship Jesus and Jesus didn't stop them? I mean, the apostles, when somebody tried to worship an apostle, the apostle would stop them. Don't. What are you doing? I'm just a man like you. Or remember when the angel came and, and John fell down in front of the angel and the angel said, get up, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not someone to be worshipped. 
But Jesus never stopped anybody from worshiping him. You know, it's like uh, that, that scene where, where uh, Thomas, you know, he, he's doubting. He's the, we call him the, which I think is cruel to call Thomas the doubting Thomas. I mean, come on. The guy gave his life in India for the gospel. He's not doubting Thomas. He had one. Can you imagine if you had one moment where you doubted? And from then on, the whole Christian world knows you by that one flaw that you had, that one moment. Wouldn't that be unfair? I mean, come on. I've been thinking to myself, I don't call him Doubting Thomas anymore. Because I think that's unfair to call him Doubting Thomas. Just because he doubted one moment. But he doubted so that we wouldn't have to doubt. That's a good point. So I said, I, I told this guy, I said, you tell me why. And this guy goes, I can't think of one verse that says that Jesus was worshipped. I gave him four. And later I checked and I found 16 places in the New Testament where it says they fell down and worshipped. Like Thomas, when, he, when, he, when Jesus said, reach hither your finger and touch my hands, reach hither your hand and thrust it in my side, be not faithless but believe. And you know what Thomas's next words were? Shazam! No, I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. No, really what he said was ufta. No, I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. No, what he said was, my Lord and my God. My what? My Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, Thomas, settle down there a little bit, you're shooting a little high there. He said, Thomas, because you saw me, you believe. Blessed are those that don't see, but yet they believe. He called them his Lord. He called them his God. And see, the point is, is that uh, it's so what's so powerful about this is that we lose sight of this, that the God who spoke in the Old Testament and just revealed himself slowly over the decades and over the centuries, he revealed himself to man. Eventually, that God who was speaking in the Old Testament, that God stepped out of eternity and he became a human like us. And he said, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. If you want to know what, what, how God feels about something, look at me. This is, I, I walked among men so people would know exactly who I am, who God is. He is the radiance. Let's read it again. He is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his nature. See, I think it's kind of a big deal that God became a man. I think that's a big deal. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he did not take upon himself the nature of angels. See, angels fell just like man fell. But it says he didn't take upon himself the nature of angels, but he took upon himself the nature of, of man. And that's why the psalmist goes, what is man? What is so special about man that you would be mindful of him or the son of man that you would visit him? You made him a little lower of the angel. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of, his, of your hands. He's, the psalmist is going, what God? I know people. They're not that great. What is it about man to you, God? Why is man so special to you, God, that you would not... I mean, you let, the, you let the fallen angels go, but you wouldn't let man go. You wouldn't let the human race go. You became one with us. You became incarnate in human form. And you walked among us and you showed us what God was like. Amen. What is it, God, about man that's so special to you? And there's something powerful about, 
about man to God. I don't know what it is, but it says God so loved the human race. God so loved you that he reached down. He came here, would not let you go. He came here to rescue you. He wanted you to know what he was like. That's why he took a human form and he said, this is what I'm like. This is what I'll do. This is what I want to be in the earth today. Man, that's good preaching. And so I think that's a powerful point. I think, I don't know how you can just sit there. I thought you'd be biting the sheetrock off the wall. I mean, I'd be, I thought you'd be. We took the, the chandeliers down so nobody would swing on them anymore. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Why? Why should we give the more earnest heed? Because in the past, God spoke through prophets. God spoke in parts and pieces through, in different ways through, to the, through the prophets. But in these last days, that God that was speaking stepped out of time and became incarnate in a human being. And he started to speak to us. You know, years ago, uh, well, and so it's important for us. I'll skip that story. And so it's important for us. So here's, so the first thing, the, the main focus of Scripture, the main focus of Scripture, because you can go through the whole Old Testament. In fact, the very first prophecy of the Bible is in, in Genesis chapter 3, and it's about Jesus. The seed of the woman would come and bruise the head of the serpent. That was the first and you can see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. You can see him in every sacrifice. You can see him in every song. You can see him in every story. You can see the, a, a picture of, his, of Jesus and his redemption. The story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. You can go through the whole Testament and you'll see Jesus everywhere. He's in the types. He's in the shadows. He's in the stories. He's in the songs. He's in the words. Sometimes it's covered, but he's there. That's why when people read the Bible, understand the Bible, they see one thing. The Messiah is coming. And after the Messiah came, they go, he, he has come and he has done something in the earth. Amen. And so the first point or the first emphasis of Scripture is that it points to Jesus. That's why, you know, I, I always, when I judge, when I judge things, I, I don't. I, I, I stay tethered to Jesus and his, what he did. I stay, I stay tethered to that. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, and this is an offensive thing I'm about to say. So just, you know, tense up. But what bothers me a little bit is some of the emphasis that we have, the church has. Like sometimes they emphasize Israel. And I, I'm a pro-Israel guy. I mean, I went to Israel. I, I believe in supporting Israel. But Israel is not the focus. Jesus and his redemption is the focus. You know, you read the book of Revelations and you go, well, what, did, what, did you, what did you learn out of Revelations? I mean, God is mad as hell. <laughs> and there's going to be some bloodshed, I'm telling you. There's going to be rivers. People are going to be dying left and right. I mean, this is going to be ugly, you know. But you know, what the, you know what verse 1 of Revelations 1 says? It says the rev. Did, did, I shouldn't have said that. The rev. Verse one says the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, gave to his servant John. 
It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. In fact, the word Antichrist, he didn't even mention in the book of Revelations. It's not, the, it's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the Great Tribulation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you read through it and you lose sight of the fact that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ in a time-space world, you've lost the emphasis. You've lost sight of the main thing. Are you guys all upset now? Because I know, I know some of you got your prophecy chart, you pulled it out. You're going, now wait a second here. This veil and that veil and this, this thing and that angel's mad and this, you know, come on, you know, what are you talking about? No, it says, starts out by saying it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's God's focus is Jesus. You know, it says in Psalms 2, it says, it says, do homage to the Son. Actually, the King James says, kiss the Son. Do homage to the Son, lest He, God, become angry and you perish. That's why when you look at, you look at how the people reacted to Jesus and, what, and how they responded to Him, that was the key to everything. And how you respond to Jesus today is the key to everything. Because there's salvation, there's redemption, and no one else. There's no way to go to heaven. You're going to split hell wide open if you reject Jesus Christ. You can be a good person. You can be a churchgoer. You can take communion until it's flowing out of both your ears. But if you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to split hell wide open. There's salvation in no one other. The Bible says in John 3, 16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, his son should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that means you are perishing. God didn't send Jesus because you were okay. You're you're okay. Maybe you need to be tweaked a little bit. No, no, you were perishing. It says in the 17th verse that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then it says this, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He that believeth not is condemned already. You, before you came to Christ, you were condemned already. It wasn't God's doing, it was, it was your doing, it was mankind's doing. We put ourselves in this mess, and God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to rescue humanity whom he loved. Amen. That's the message of the gospel. And the Bible says, you know, there's, there's five, in the Reformation, there's five solas. I told you, sola scripture Scriptura, which is, the, is Scripture alone. But here's, here's, here's four others. Sola, I can't say the Latin word. It's F-I-D-E, fida. And it means by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. These are the Reformation solas. Sola Christus, which is Christ alone. And sola deo gloria, which is to the glory of God alone. So here's what they are. By scripture, this is the five tenets of the Protestant Reformation. By scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the thing that the, the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation was based on. Only in Christ Jesus. When you add good works to it, what happens is you pollute the message. Now, I believe in good works. The Bible says that we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, but we're not created in Christ Jesus by good works. 
We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work for our own salvation with fear and trembling. We, once we receive it, then we do something with what we receive as a gift. Amen. By Christ alone. By faith alone. By grace alone. By scripture alone. How many are still with me? And so all of us, all of us here need to understand that. So here's the that's the first thing. The first thing is that the scriptures, the main, main focus or the main point of the scriptures is Jesus. Turn to your neighbor one more time and tell him Jesus. But then the second thing to understand, the second thing to understand is why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, we could say, well, he came to redeem us, and that would be a true statement. But it was more than just to redeem us, even though I thank God for redemption. You say, he came that we might have forgiveness of sin. Thank God for the forgiveness of sin. You might say, well, he came, he came that we might be blessed. I believe in being blessed. I love being blessed. But you have to understand that there's something fundamentally wrong with every single individual. And that is that they're fallen. The Bible says that they're dead in trespasses and sins. And when the Bible says dead, it means that they're dead in their relationship to God. There's a separation between them and God. There's a separation. Their sins have separated them from their God. They're dead. They're, they have a nature. They have a fallen nature. They have, actually, the Bible says, now listen to this. Now, are, you, are you guys ready? Are you bracing yourself? Here's another one. The Bible says there are only two types of people in the earth, children of God and children of the devil. Jesus said to those Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you will do. What throws us off is that humans are capable of good deeds. We're capable of, of, of changing our behavior to a certain extent. Just, but, you know, sometimes you see people, they domesticate uh, wild animals, but then all of a sudden something happens with the wild, you don't know, because they're still a wild animal. And so even though they act like, hey, I think it's, I think it's going to be okay. I think this baboon, this gorilla, this, this lion, this whatever, I think it's going to be okay. seems like he's acting all right. But then all of a sudden something happens. In its true nature, act comes up and he starts acting out his true nature. And so we can change our behavior. We can modify our behavior. We can change ourselves to a certain extent, but our true nature is still present. And once we get under pressure, our true nature will always come out. And so when God came on the scene in the person of Jesus, what he was after was not just the forgiveness of sins. He was not just after getting you blessed, even though those are part of it. But he was after transformation. He was after new birth. He was after from death to life. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. He was after a total transformation of a life. That's why when Nicodemus in John chapter 3 came to Jesus. I'm kind of blowing up my notes and so these verses aren't probably up there. But um, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now you got to understand, Nicodemus, the only religion on the earth at that time that God accepted was Judea. Judea. How do you say that? Judaism. Judaism. That was the only religion that had a standing with God at that time because they had the whole temple sacrifice, animal sacrifices, the priesthood. That was the only religion. 
And so this man, this, this man, Nicodemus, he wasn't just a part of that religion. He was a leader in that religion. And the Pharisees were very holy people, far more holy than you and I. And this man was the was if there's anybody that should have been made righteous, that should have been OK, it would have been Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. You know, what Jesus said to him, you must be born again. He, he's saying, even though you're all religious, you got all your clothes, you got your big uh, you got your big hat on, you got all that stuff. You got all that, the bells and the smells and all that stuff. You got it all. But he says, unless. You are born again. In other words, something spiritual happens inside you. You're going to split hell wide open. You'll never see the kingdom. You'll never enter the kingdom unless something happens to you. Something's got to take place inside the human heart. And Nicodemus is acting like, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Because in the Old Testament, God said that he would come and he would establish a new covenant and that he would write our, his laws in our hearts because the lawgiver would come and live inside of us so that we could be led by the spirit. But that's what Jesus, primarily that Jesus came, is he came that we might have a new birth. The verse that says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What, what does that mean? You can't make yourself a new creature. It's a gift. It's a transformation that comes. If you read stories throughout history of people that were mightily used of God, they always talk about this moment in time when something happened to them. See, I can tell you it happened to me at New Year's Eve night, 1971. New Year's Eve night, 1971. I can I could bring you to the place where I was. I could tell you about the transformation that took place. I could tell you about the prayer that I prayed. I could tell you that something happened to me. You know, I like to say I went out the next morning and the grass looked greener, but it was snow. It was snow, but the snow looked whiter. Something happened inside of me. There was a change that took place in a moment of time. Something happened to me. I became aware of God's goodness, God's presence. I remember standing in that room and just kind of like dancing around going, I don't know what it is, but I feel so good. I didn't know all the great theologies of the Bible, but something happened to me. And that's what Jesus came to bring. It's not a religion. What it is, it's a relationship. See, salvation is ultimately the work of God. I can't give you a wafer and get you born again. I can't baptize you in water. I could baptize you. I could hold you under. And you'd go down a, a, a dry sinner and, and, and get up a wet sinner. Amen. Even though I believe in baptism. But it is a heart transformation that only I can, I can arrange the meeting. I'm arranging the meeting right now this morning. But ultimately, it's a work of God. And by preaching the good news of the gospel, you are arranging the meeting. You're arranging the meeting between God and people. But only God can do the work of salvation. You know, it's so funny. Um, I used to say, you know, I grew up in a church. And I thought, and it was a full gospel church, Souls Harbor, Minneapolis. And that's the church I grew up in. 
my pastor was Gordon Peterson. He's a great man, great man. I didn't realize how great he was at the time, but now I look back on he was a great man. And, um, but I used to think to myself, that church doesn't preach the, you know, I used to think that to myself. They don't preach the truth. They don't preach the gospel. They, you know, it's just, it's just all fluff, you know. But after I got saved, I went back and read some of their sermons. And all of a sudden I'm going, wow, that's powerful. That's amazing. Woo, that's glorious. And I'm going, why couldn't I see that? And that's why Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Something has to happen where, where God awakens a human heart by the truth of God's word. And he sees, I have, I have tremendous need, but I see that he's calling me. And when I respond, what happens is something happens to me. I'm just not learning about God. I'm experiencing God. I'm not learning great principles. I learn that later. But I'm experiencing the life of God coming into me, and I'm being born again. You see, a baby, Jesus used that analogy, a baby doesn't born himself. Right? But there are all these, there's pain. Nowadays, we have a lot of different you know, things to deaden the pain. But back, you know, back in that day, buddy, you were on your own, girls, ladies. You know, I, we had five kids and I was there. I was, hoping, I was hoping that we do it the old-fashioned way. I'll be in the waiting room for you. Let me know. Doc, let me know. And my wife goes, no, no, you, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there? My wife told me after the baby, first baby was born, she goes, she took my hand. So sweet. She said, you did a great job. I did not do a great job. <laughs> I had never in all my life seen anything like that. <laughs> I was in a state of shock. I'm like, in fact, the doc kept going, are you okay? Better get a gurney in here. And I'm telling this right now, I'm about ready to go down for the count, you know. But that's after they have all the you know, epidurals and all this stuff. They had none of, back in that day, they had none of that. It was pain and suffering for that child to be born. Let me tell you something. Jesus agonized. Jesus agonized. But it says that he, for the joy that was set before him, he agonized so that you would have a new birth. To miss that is to miss everything. Let's all stand together. Jesus told Nicodemus, he didn't say, Nicodemus, we have this one plan. It's called the born again plan. We also have several other plans, several other options. He says, no, you must be the most religious guy probably on the planet. You must be born again. You have to, ha something has to happen to you. That moment in time where you say, Lord, I'm not trusting my good works 
because it's grace alone, it's faith alone. I'm not trusting my church, even though I believe in church. I'm not trusting anything, but I'm trusting you. You know, it's interesting. I read this conversion of Charles Spurgeon. You should read his conversion. It's pretty interesting. He said he went to a church when he was a teenager, and he said he was so anxious about his soul because his dad was, I think his dad was a preacher, his grandpa was a preacher. But he said, I couldn't find peace. And I'd pray, God, forgive me. But he said, I couldn't find peace. And he said he went to this church. It was in a snowstorm, so he couldn't get to his church, so he went to this little Methodist church. And the pastor wasn't there because he couldn't get to the church because it was a snowstorm. So he goes, this layman got up to conduct the sermon. And he read this verse out of Isaiah where it says, Look to me, all ye lands, and you shall be saved. It's Isaiah 45. And he said when he heard that, have a he is raised in a Christian home, but when he heard that word, look to me, all ye lands, and you will be saved. He said it came, he said it felt like it came out of heaven and hit him right in the chest. He goes, that's what I've not been doing. I haven't been looking, because faith is looking. I haven't been looking. And so he said, I turned my focus and I said, Lord, I'm a good person, but I don't trust that no more. I'm a preacher's kid, but I don't trust that no more. My grandpa was a preacher, but I don't trust that no more. I'm in a good church, but I don't trust that anymore. I look to you. And he said, something happened to him. Something hit him. It just something. He said there was a transformation that took place inside of him. He became aware. You know, when a baby, I watched those babies born. And when them, when them babies come out of the womb, you ever, ever, when they come out of the birth canal, they, they, all of a sudden they start looking around and they become aware of another world. And when a person is born again, I think one of the greatest signs of being born again is an awareness. The awareness of, of the love of God. The awareness of the mercy of God. The awareness of the grace of God. The awareness that God is real. There's an awareness that comes. It's not intellectual, it's spiritual. Jesus said you must have a spiritual birth. Let's all bow our heads just for a moment. I want to just ask you this morning, if you're here and you've never had a spiritual birth, you might have gone to church all your life. I'm not against going to church. I'm not against any of those things, baptism, communion, but they don't take the place of having a spiritual birth. If God is speaking to you this morning and you've never had a spiritual birth, never had a spiritual rebirth, and you'd like me to pray for you, I'd be glad to pray for you, but I need to see your hand. So just slip your hand up so I can see it. If you've never had a spiritual rebirth, could I see your hand? Anybody in this place? You've never had a spiritual rebirth. Hallelujah. You'd like me to pray for you. Just slip your hand up so I can see it. All right? Praise God. Everybody's saved. That's good. Oh, if you're online and you would like to respond to this, just lift your hand up where you're sitting there and respond to this.
let's pray together. Would you pray this prayer with me, even though no one raised their hand, but let's pray it for people that are watching online. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I ask you to forgive me of all sin. I pray for mercy. I believe that you died for me and rose again from the dead. I believe that you made me right with you. Righteous. And I accept that now by faith. I look to you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Let's sing this song. Go ahead. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus at the center of
Thank you, Jesus. Well, just tell Jesus that you love him this morning. Say, Lord, I just love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That you are the center of our lives. Hallelujah. You're the center of our world, Lord. You're the center of our lives. Center of this church, Lord. We thank you, God, for it. I want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for. The prayer counselors could please come forward. If you need prayer for anything, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, whatever, I want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for. So as soon as I dismiss, if you just make your way up to the front and we'll have some, uh, some good prayer. Praise God. Well, you look good today, a good looking bunch. Most friendliest, happy people. She said that she feels like there's someone here that has a blood disorder that God wants to heal. If anybody has a, a blood disorder, God wants to heal you this morning. Just let you know that. So make sure you just come up, have her pray for you. Praise God. Well, it's been good to be together. God bless you, everybody. You're free to go. Make sure you come forward if you need any prayer. God bless you.